sure. That's our goal. That's our desire. It would be for him and all that he is today. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Uh, I was just blown away when I discovered on Wednesday that we were singing that song and then the one before it also that says, I will lift you up and lift you higher. Uh, But specifically the song, Not to Us. Uh, In uh, the early days of our church, it was our desire that uh, we made sure that everything we did was uh, bathed in prayer and that we listened to God and we responded. And it was really our heart's desire that it would all be done in a way, everything we did was done in a way that would, we would just point people to Jesus and that he would get the glory. And uh, back when we were planning this building, we were over at the Vets Hall, we actually produced a CD and we put on that title, that CD, Not to Us, because we just wanted to remind ourselves as we started the process of coming here that uh, when we did get here, it would still be about him and it wouldn't be about us, it wouldn't be about this, but it'd be about him getting glory. And so that all that we would do would be done in such a way that we would be able to show our world um, through our actions, through our hearts, that God is real and that God loves them and that God is for them in such a huge way. And I just don't think our world gets that message, especially from the church. I think that the world gets the message from the church is that God is against them. And because that's the church's message many times. And so what we want to do today is we just want to realize that it's all about bringing him glory. Now, the key is, if we're going to be able to bring him glory, is that we have to be in sync with him, right? And so as we live our lives, if we're not in sync with him, then what we're reflecting is not going to be an accurate representation of who he is, right? And so what we want to do today is we want to look at how can I be in sync with him totally be clean from sin so that as I'm going out into my world that I'm reflecting him and his glory. And so what we're going to do is this awesome just leading us to in this series of Babylon. We're in Daniel chapter 9 this week. And when we get to there, we're going to look at uh, this prayer that Daniel prays. uh, And it's a prayer of confession and repentance and cleansing, and that's what we get to do today. You know, I don't know what you came expecting today, but today is a time of prayer, confession, repentance, and cleansing. That's what we're going to experience today together. And so we're going to end up with communion. So I want to invite you, if you would, if you have your Bible, to go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 9. Also, you can pull out the message notes out of the program. They look like this. And that you'll just be able to follow along. I put as many of the verses on here as I could from Daniel today. Um, There's a lot in that chapter that we could look at. We're going to look at the first 20 verses uh, as we go through this uh, time today. As I said, it's about prayer. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn how we can pray when we've sinned against God. When we've sinned against God. Now, as you read the Old Testament, you discover that there are many awesome characters in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, many of them, we see their flaws, their shortcomings, we see their struggles, their difficulties, their discouragements. And oftentimes, uh, as we're studying these individuals, we see that they were people of prayer. And so they had certain prayers that uh, allowed us to see into their heart, into their character. And so as we were thinking about what are we going to do next fall, this fall after this series, 
is that, you know, kind of the idea is, is that I knew I wanted to talk about prayer this fall, again, like we did last fall, uh, but how do we come at that? And so, because we're going to do the walk through the Bible on October 4, and I just want to say, hey, gear up for that. If you've never been to this, it's an awesome experience. If you've been, you want to come and just get a review. And we're going to walk through the entire Old Testament in about six hours on a Saturday, okay? And you're going to get a great overview and understanding of the Old Testament. So what Mark asked me to do in this series was to keep us in the Old Testament all fall. So we can be looking at Old Testament characters and see how they tie in uh, to the reality that where they lived and how that can speak to us today. And so we're going to do that. In your program, there's this flyer. Actually, it's a card. And it says, pray like, and we're going to look at these characters listed in this box and the prayers they prayed in certain circumstances and situations. We're going to learn from them how we can pray ourselves as they model that for us. So what I want to do today is I'm just going to jump right in. And uh, if you would, uh, we're going to look at four ideas from Daniel chapter 9. And you want to write this down, the first one. If I'm going to be able to pray and I'm going to be able to pray with tenacity, I need to, as it's going to say here, I need to search with attentiveness. How to pray with tenacity. I need to search with attentiveness. And uh, what we're going to see right away is that Daniel got the inspiration for his prayer from searching the Word of God. He was searching and reading, and he was reading it with attentiveness, and he was asking God to speak to him. So when things are going tough, and you got to know that in Daniel's life, things had gone tough uh, up to this point. The number one thing we want to know when things are tough is, is there hope? Is there anything for me or anyone for me? And the best place to hear a word of hope is in God's word. Always look at the promises in his word at the simplest level When we go to prayer, prayer is dialogue. We need to remember that. Prayer is dialogue. It's about relationship. It's about listening and responding. Listening and responding. So you see that it's all about me listening and me responding. That's the relationship of prayer. Me listening and then me responding to what it is that God has said to me. And the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. And some of you are sitting here today, and you're wondering, well, why isn't God speaking to me? And you heard friends, and they, they, they say God speaks to them all the time. And you're wondering, why doesn't it speak to you? Well, I'm just going to say, maybe it's because you're not reading the book. And when you get in the book, God speaks to you. I just say that every time I open it up, when I open it up with attentiveness and want to listen to him, that he has shown me something that he wants to talk to me about or some promise that he says that he wants me to be encouraged by. It's all about listening to him and then responding. Your prayer life will only be as rich and as fruitful as your time in his word. Just got to know that. So you're wondering why your prayer life is kind of stale. It's possibly because your time in the word in the Bible is stale, and that you need to be looking with attentiveness and expectation every time you open up this book for what God is going to say to you. That's why it's essential that we dig, that we mine, that we search, that we seek, and we come to God and we say, "God, here I am. Here I am, your servant. Speak to me." As we read, and we listen, and we respond. It's all about dialogue. We listen and respond. And this is what it says in Daniel 1. Here's how we know Daniel did this. 
During the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of God as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So just so kind of know, just where we are in the chronology of where we've been in, the, in this book of Daniel so far, is that the first six chapters of Daniel are written in order, and they you know, follow the time chronology of Daniel and his life. The last six chapters are written out of order, and they're written in the order of the experiences that Daniel had, and visions, and then uh, opportunities that he had to hear from God. So this one that we're reading today in Daniel chapter 9 was actually an occasion that Daniel experienced between Daniel 5 and the handwriting on the wall that we looked at and Daniel 6 when we talked about Daniel's discipline last week and desperation and being in the lion's den. So this happened between those times closer to Daniel 5 than actually Daniel 6. So what we know is Daniel's been in captivity or exile for 68 years He was taken into captivity when he was about 15, so he's about 83 years of age here when this was written, when these words were penned. And what we learned last week is, you want to go back, if you weren't here last week, you really missed an awesome experience as we walked through the Daniel and the lion's den and Daniel chapter 6, and we learned that the key to Daniel's life and then his being able to hear from God and respond to God and be able to stand up when he was being told that he should bow, shouldn't bow down to God, and he did bow down to God. The key to that was his disciplined, private devotion. Disciplined, private devotion. And what we know from you know, Kim's talk last week, as she talked about Daniel 6, is that the times of devotion were full of three times a day prayer and reading the Bible. Now, they didn't have the Bibles, we have it, okay? Just know that when we say the Bible, we're talking scrolls, we're talking pieces of parchment. Uh, what they did have, they'd, been put, they'd put together, and he was reading from the scroll, this would be a scroll now, of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah was prophesying, as God was speaking through him to the children of Judah, Israel, about what was about to happen in captivity, and then giving them words along the way. So we know he was ready to read in Jeremiah 25 or 29 when it came to his, the idea here that it would be 70 years. So I'm going to read Jeremiah 29. It's on your notes. This is what the Lord says through Jeremiah. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. So they knew that. That's, that's God's, pro, you know, God's promise. Claim it. God's promise right there. But then I will come and do good for you I do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We all know that verse, right? And we usually use that verse out of context in so many ways. I believe it can be used as a promise to us that he's going to work on our behalf. But also in context here, he's talking about how he's got plans for us out of rubble, out of ruin, out of those desperate situations that we can be in. He says, I will listen if you look for me wholeheartedly. So that's what I mean about attentiveness here. I'm looking for him wholeheartedly. You will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Then I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. It was, it was a reassuring promise 
Daniel read that that day. And so what we can understand is when I am the most discouraged, I need to look for God's promises to lift me up. Look for God's promises now that I can take to him in prayer. I have a quote here from a man by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. And this is what he says about this whole idea. He says, secret of prayer is that we should ask in accordance with God's will. So how do I know God's will? Right here. So I ask in accordance with God's will. The prayer of faith asks in unwavering faith for what God has already promised to do. So we search the book and we see that God's answers are always bound in his promises, bound up, tied together in his promises. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to be able to pray prayers of you know, great faith and uh, tenacity when we're in difficult circumstances and situations is that we need to search and listen. We need to search and listen. We need to go to him with attentiveness. Okay, now the second idea, we're going to move on and get to the really kind of what I think is really the meat of what we're talking about today is the second idea is I need to respond with helplessness, respond with helplessness. goes on in verse 3 and says this. After, this. after he's been reading, okay, and after he hears God speak to him through Jeremiah, he says this. So, here's what I did. I turned to the Lord. I just love it. The first thing he did is he turned to him. It's, it's a, this is an expression of intimacy. It's an expression of knowledge. And so, when things are tough, the first place he turned was to God. First place he turned was to God. So that's an indication for us as well. It's similar language that was used in Luke chapter 9 to say that Jesus turned himself toward Jerusalem as he was heading to the cross. He was moving forward. So it was this determination to go forward. And so it says, then it goes and says, and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. Some of you are like saying, oh, great. Today we're going to learn how to go faster. I need more in my life. But really, fasting is a whole different thing here. I also wore rough burlap. Some of you here know that as sackcloth and sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. So what he did here is he just demonstrated an attitude of helplessness by his actions. He resolutely turned his face toward God. Now, even though that uh, what we're going to see is he was actually feeling was a sense of shame. We're also going to see here that he didn't let his shame keeping from turning to God. You got to know that when you're feeling guilt and shame and you don't feel that God will accept you and so you're hiding from him or you're not turning from him, that message is not from God. That message is from the devil, from the evil one, the one that would want to keep you from relationship with him. And what Daniel shows us here is that even when I'm feeling guilt and even though when I'm feeling shame, the source of hope is now to turn to God for freedom, the one who can help me overcome my guilt. And so then he began pleading and praying with fasting and with these prayers. And he's showing us, these are strong words that show a longing to be with the one who he knows can rescue him. It's a, they're words of intimacy and, uh, and you know, knowledge of coming together. He was showing God right now. He's showing God, God, I am hearing you and I am serious, Okay. I need to deal with my sin. 
and I need to deal with my guilt, and I need to deal with my shame. And so what he did is he set himself up now in a place with an attitude that God could actually speak to him. So, you know, it says he wore sackcloth or burlap and sprinkled himself with ashes. These are signs of humility. These are signs of humility. All of this was showing his helplessness before God, which is an attitude. And then his choice of words takes this helplessness, even this idea of helplessness even further. His choice of words. And this is what he says. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God. I just want to pause there. When he says, I prayed to the Lord my God, the name for God that he uses here helps us to understand how helpless he saw himself. He uses the word Adonai. Adonai is a term for God in the Old Testament, and it best you know, speaks of the idea that God is in charge, that he is Lord, which means he's in command, he's over all things, and he is in charge. It means that he's the ruler and he's the owner of the universe, which means he can do all things, and because he can do all things, I don't have to. And I actually can't, and I'm helpless right here where I am. No matter how hard things get, no matter how evil things appear, no matter how distant God feels, what Daniel says by using the term Adonai, he's always present and he's always in control. As one person put it, Daniel shows us that God is large and in charge. He is large and in charge. And so we can trust that that's who he is. He's sovereign and in complete control of all things. So what he does when he says Adonai, he's actually saying, I'm humbling myself before the Holy One who is in control of all things. And he's really responding. He's saying, I am helpless. I'm helpless to change this situation. And if God doesn't act on our behalf, we're toast. We're toast. We're just not going to make it. And he spawns with this helplessness and this soberness. One person said it this way. Prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. Some of you are thinking, well, I just need to go to God and I need to demand these things from him. You know, I've seen these folks pray on TV and they start yelling at God. And then they say later that somehow God spoke to them. And um, so maybe I'm not coming to God with enough force. And, you know, I just need to show, how, show him how strong I am and show him how much faith I have by yelling at him and, you know, demanding the act on my behalf. And the idea here is this, folks. The prayer that God hears is the prayer of the person who's helpless, knows it and admits it, knows it and admits it and comes before God in that way because prayer and helplessness are inseparable. And I can't wait for, you know, August 31st to start this series on Pray Like. And every week we're going to talk about how here's a helpless person who prayed to God. And we're going to look at the helplessness and then how God responded and how God came through. Okay, turn your notes over. And let's look at the third key. And it's this. Confess with contriteness. Confess with contriteness. I love the word contrite. Um, and... You know, the Bible says that a contrite heart talks about that. Well, I looked it up and went to an international Bible encyclopedia. And this is what it says about contrite or contrite heart. A contrite heart is one in which national, I mean, natural pride and self-sufficiently have been completely humbled by the consciousness of guilt. 
consciousness of guilt. Hebrew and Greek words for contrite, they often, you know, referring to the picture of someone who's crushed, someone who's crippled, someone who's broken. And the idea of a contrite heart is a conscious conscience that's crushed by the weight of guilt. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about how many of us have felt that, but I would say all of us have felt the weight of guilt. See, a person is contrite when he or she stops justifying his or her wrong choices and awakens to the depth of their sinfulness. Now, this goes against our culture's teaching about self-esteem and positive thinking and optimism goes totally against that is that a contrite heart is someone who understands their sinfulness and the depth of it and then this is even gonna get harder humbly accepts God's judgment and condemnation of that sin aren't you glad you came today (laughs) this is not where we want to be is it But we're getting to the good news, okay? Is that I'm willing to admit humbly my state that I have sinned against a holy God and I deserve all that he would give to me because he is righteous. See, a contrite heart doesn't offer up excuses. It doesn't try to shift blame onto someone else. It fully agrees with God about how evil it is how evil it is. A contrite heart then throws itself because it knows it can't do anything about this. It's helpless. Throws itself on the mercy of God, knowing that it deserves righteous, uh, deserves nothing but righteous judgment. So that means that when we're confessing, we're not just coming to God because of the consequences of our sins, right? You know, sometimes we just, the consequences drive us to God. And what God's wanting us to do is he wants us to come to him because of the rebelliousness of our sin, the state of sin. That's why he wants us to come to him. Now, we do come because of consequences, and we feel those greatly, but he really wants us to come because we know we've sinned against a holy and righteous God, and he wants us to come before him. And Daniel realized that reading the, uh, in his readings from Jeremiah that they, the whole nation was in captivity because of their unwillingness to listen to God's commands as he called them to live as children of the Most High God. He realizes that they were receiving a just punishment for their unwillingness to bend their knees and live out their part of God's covenant that he had given them. And that then drives Daniel to his knees. This is why he puts on sackcloth or burlap. This is why he covers himself with ashes. This is why he doesn't eat. Because he realizes that he is a sinful man. His nation is a sinful nation. And then it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and confessed. Now, here's where we're going. Daniel is switching gears here. Up until now, he's talked about I, I, I. And now he's going to talk about we. So he switches from personal to national. Personal to national at this point. And I'll just say this, folks. I believe that we all have, I'm going to talk about this in a moment. We all have responsibility and we all need to uh, come before him personally And yet, I do also believe that there are times that God calls us to come before him and confess the sins of the nation, the sins of the nation against a holy God. And he goes on now, and he's confessing the sins of the nation. 
And so I, I just really think we need to, you know, reflect on the, what he's coming at. He's coming with humility, and he's coming at this attitude of helplessness. And instead of looking out and saying, it's all everybody else's fault, it's all everybody's fault, what he does is he says, no, what I'm doing is I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm realizing my part in this, in this difficulty, Okay, that's what he's done. He's looked in the mirror. He realizes that what is true about him, and it's also true about the nation. And so he's taking responsibility for what's in the mirror, and he's praying for what's outside, and he's looking at. So he goes on, he talks about, this is what he says. He says, we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of Israel. Lord, you are in the right. Would you underline that? You are in the right. But as you can see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us because we have sinned against you. We have not obeyed the Lord our God for we have not followed the instructions he gave us. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. We've refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. Now, you got to know here what Daniel's saying when he uses the word right here twice. He's saying that... The Lord is right to judge us. And in righteousness, he will declare what is not righteous and what is righteous. So he's coming at it. And being right here, it means that he's just. And so when he declares a judgment, it's because he means it, okay? And we can trust him. And that we know that he gave commands, as he said here, and they've not kept the commands. And so the judgment they are receiving is right. It is just. Now, just think about this. How would you like to live in a land where the judges made up the laws on the spot? So they, you know, whatever it was, they came in, they, they you found that you, you were, you know, you did something, you got before a judge, and he starts making up the laws on the spot, and he determines who's right and wrong based on the whims he has. Well, God doesn't do that. God determines who's sinned and who's not by his righteousness and by his commands that we live out. Okay, it goes on to say this. We did not, here's the key, we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. We are full of wickedness. Now, what he's doing is he's being honest before God. Here's what God's word said. Here's who we are. And I'm going to be honest, contrite, and I'm going to confess my sin and acknowledge that what God says about me is true, even though everything within me wants to fight it. C.S. Lewis says it this way. We must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. What is in us, not what ought to be in us. And what he realizes here is that God is both righteous and merciful. He goes on and says that. He says he's just and he's forgiven. And he was just to send the curses he did. And he's now calling out for his mercy and forgiveness. 
Okay, so now let's get to this last idea, and we're going to move into this time of communion today as we confess together. It says that last idea is this, is I need to ask with hopefulness. So, you know, I come to this whole idea, I look in his word, I search with attentiveness, I I admit my helplessness, I confess with contriteness, and now I'm in the place where I can ask and petition God and come before him with my supplications. Now, what do we usually do when we pray? We start with what? Asking. We start with, God, I need, God, I want, God, please do this, God, do this. Well, what Daniel's showing us is a pattern of prayer that when we get to the place where we're clean before God, now we're in the position to ask from God. And so he asks from God in these next verses. Beginning, with, I'm gonna, I included several verses here, so if you have your Bible, it might be hard to follow along, uh, that talk about his ask. He says, okay, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. So he's calling out to God's faithfulness. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, talking, calling out for this mercy and forgiveness that he knows they need, even though we've rebelled against him. Now, here we go. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. So he's, he's declaring what he knows God can do when God's people come before him in contrite confession and repentance. And he's saying to God, you can choose to forgive me. You can choose to forgive your nation. We do not deserve forgiveness. What you say is right. What you say is just. We have sinned against you, a holy God. We didn't listen to your prophets. We didn't listen when you gave us a chance. And here we are, and we're in this dire straits and consequences. But God, I'm calling out because I know you personally, and I've discovered that you are a God of mercy. And the word grace is not in this, but you are a God of grace. You are a God of forgiveness. And I'm calling out to you because he knew God's character. And so he was praying out of his knowledge of God's character in this place. It's about intimacy. Daniel was just saying, God, you're just, you're righteous, you're large, and you're in charge. You're holy, and you're clean. But you're also loving, and you're forgiving, and you're merciful, and you're faithful. So God, restore us. Restore us. Not so that people look at us and say, hey, look at what they did. But so that people look at us and say, hey, look at what God did as he restored his people. And he goes on and says this in verses 17 through 20. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake. Now, is he like bargaining with God here? Uh, No. What he's saying here is this. He's saying, as you forgive your people, as your people are lifted up... People are going to, others will look at your people and they're going to say, how did they pull themselves out of that mire? And then they'll realize they couldn't and they'll realize God did it and then God will be, get glory and honor in this situation. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how our, your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. The Old and New Testament goes on and makes it clear that we can do nothing to earn God's favor. So we don't deserve your help, but we're crying out for your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, oh, my God. For your people and your city, bear your name. And then he says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. So he continued to pray and continued to be in this position of prayer before God. 
asking God. Here's what he asked God to do. This is why it was so important to me that we ended up with a song, Not to Us, uh, and the music team had no idea where this, you know, Daniel was going at this point or where I feel that God led us to go to. But the idea is this. He's saying, God, I'm asking you to set your people free from the curse of their sin. And as they're set free from the curse of their sin, your name will be lifted up. Your name will be glorified. People will see that you are, yes, holy and righteous and just and that you are merciful and you are forgiving and you are a loving God. And they will be drawn to you as that God. See, God is all about him being lifted up. Now, this may freak you out today. I love how John Piper puts it. He says this. He says, God, he says, our deepest confidence is that God is committed to God. Really? He's not committed to me? Oh, yeah, but first and foremost, he's committed to himself. He's committed with explosive passion that the glory of his name and his reputation be shared with the world so that people will know him. And so that's the bottom line of the prayer. Oh, God, I'm going to finish my prayer as I've come before you. I'm going to look in your word. I'm going to admit I'm helpless. I'm going to confess. And then, God, what I'm going to say is, God, out of this rubble that I'm in right now, will you in some way bring glory to your name from the fact that I am forgiven. For your sake, act on our behalf. For your sake, do not delay. For your namesake, forgive us. For your namesake, purify and heal us. For your namesake, restore us and revive us. For your namesake, empower us, God. That's Daniel's prayer. And it's awesome. Now, I'm going to ask our ushers. Usher, you go ahead and move into place. I'm going to talk just a little bit more while you're getting set. So move into place, grab your trays, and then just stay there just a minute because I want to just talk a little bit about what happens uh, as, as Daniel prays. He goes, Daniel goes on to let us know that God responded immediately to the prayer and he sent out the angel Gabriel with his answer. Uh, now, the interesting thing is the answer to the angel Gabriel was not, hey, we're going to restore the nation of Israel. But the answer was to talk about the coming one who wouldn't just restore a nation, but would restore people who are steeped in sin. So Gabriel goes on and, and points forward past Daniel's day to God's ultimate plan for redeeming his people. And Gabriel was pointing forward for us to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that when that Messiah comes, he will bring an end to our rebelliousness. He will bring an end to sin. He will bring an atoning for guilt. He will bring everlasting righteousness. He will seal the vision and prophecy, and he will anoint the most holy. So that's what Jesus will come to do. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to put this verse up here. We're going to look at it as we're getting served communion for just a little bit. This is what it says about Jesus. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you right now, if you would just bow your heads um, and our ushers are going to start serving communion. And as they start serving communion, I'm going to ask you to listen to God right now about the state of your heart and whether there's sin in your heart. I'm going to ask you to not push him back to deny it, to blame someone else. I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to just admit, I did it, and that you would, with contriteness, confess that sin. 
and that you would talk to God about your plan for repentance or changing. And then you would just let him bathe your soul before we have communion with his forgiveness, with his cleansing. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ as we're being served, go ahead and take the elements because if, if you're willing to pray with me and say yes to Jesus Christ today, that you want to be forgiven by him, that you want to be cleansed, that you know that you have sinned as well and that you want to be with him. Jesus, we thank you as much as we understand. We know that you've forgiven us through your death on the cross. You made it possible and we all want to be bathed in your righteousness We want to know your forgiveness, Jesus. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. And now as we just listen to you, I pray you speak.
Oh God, we just come before you now, even before we eat these elements, just realizing that that song was a song of desperate helplessness. And that we need you. That there is nothing we can do on our own that would ever cause us to be able to deserve forgiveness, cleansing, restoration. And you knew that. And long before the world began, your plan was that you would send Jesus Christ. And that through him, through him shedding his blood, that we would be made forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, restored, regenerated. And that we would never have to wear shame and guilt again. come before you in contrite confession we ask you to cleanse us through the blood of Jesus and make us whole this bread represents Jesus body which was broken for us and on the night he was betrayed he broke some bread like this and he gave us to disciples and he said that we should eat this and we should remember that his body was broken for us that God is righteous and God is just and that someone had to take the punishment for sin and Jesus took our punishment on his body he took the punishment for our sin so as you eat this would you thank him so much with gratitude and humbleness for what he's done
He also poured some wine and he said that this would represent his blood, which would be shed, that would enter in a new covenant that wouldn't be based any longer on our works or our efforts. It would be based on what he's done for us on the cross and his blood would seal that covenant that we would have new life with him. As you drink this, thank Jesus for what he's done. Now that we're cleansed individually, God, personally, would you just take a moment and would you offer up a prayer for our nation? Confessing the sins that you know, that you see, maybe even you've been part of, just for a moment. God, we ask you to move, that you would move in a way that the people in this room have never seen, in a national, in a national way that would bring revival, that would bring restoration, that would draw souls to you, that we would become a nation who would live out the love of Christ wherever we go. And I pray today that as we leave, as we wrap up, that our hearts are not on what other people are doing wrong, but our hearts are on what you've done for us. May you get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.